You're listening to Talking Policy, a podcast of the UC Institute on Global Conflict and Cooperation. My name is Patrick Hume. I'm a graduate student researcher at IGCC. And today I'll be hosting uh, the Talking Policy episode in the series we have on the crisis in Ukraine. All right. We are here today with uh, James Lee, uh, who's a postdoc here at uh, University of California's Institute on Global Conflict and Cooperation, otherwise known as IGCC, uh, which is based at the School of Global Policy and Strategy at UCSD. Uh, James received his PhD in politics from Princeton in 2018 and subsequently held a fellowship in the Max uh, Weber program for postdoctoral studies at the European Union Institute in Florence, Italy. Starting in August, he will be an assistant professor at the Institute of European and American Studies at Academia Sinica uh, in Taiwan. James's research interests lie at the intersection of international relations, diplomatic history, economics, East Asian studies, and classics. He studies grand strategy, geoeconomics, and great power competition in historical periods ranging from ancient Greece to the Cold War and to the present day. He's especially interested in U.S. grand strategy in Europe and East Asia, uh, U.S.-Taiwan relations, and the reception of Thucydides in the field of strategic studies. So James, welcome to Talking Policy. Hi, Patrick. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. So let's jump right into it. So um, you, of course, you you are a Taiwan expert. So let's let's talk about uh, how the war in Ukraine relates to what's going on in East Asia. How does the war in Ukraine affect the Taiwan contingency in the eyes of Beijing? Well, both uh, Beijing and Taipei have been trying to distance themselves from the analogy between Taiwan and Ukraine uh, for different reasons. So in the case of uh, Beijing, they distance themselves, um, the Taiwan issue from the Russian invasion of Ukraine, because um, so their view of it is that Taiwan is a part of China. And uh, so they want to separate these issues very clearly. Um, From Taipei's perspective, they're trying to um, distance uh, the Taiwan issue or, or Taiwan contingency from the Russian invasion of Ukraine in order to uh, highlight how you know Taiwan is different from Ukraine, um, both in terms of U.S. foreign policy and in terms of, of, of international politics. And we're more likely to see uh, U.S. direct intervention in the defense of Taiwan than U.S. intervention in the defense of Ukraine. And it's for that reason that uh, across the political spectrum, um, within and outside of the current administration in Taipei, people have been downplaying the similarities between uh, Taiwan and Ukraine. And the main arguments that people have been raising in, in, to support that kind of distancing between Taiwan and Ukraine is the fact that um, the US needs uh, Taiwan's uh, computer chips and Taiwan's position in the first island chain. It seems one of the possible takeaways that, that some you know kind of commentators or pundits have postulated in the US is that somehow Beijing might think that I'm not saying I agree with this, I'm just trying to lay out the argument that because the U.S. did not directly uh, militarily intervene in Ukraine, i.e. put U.S. forces, if not on the ground, then at least, you know, create a no-fly zone, put somehow, somehow puts, you know, American military assets directly involved in the conflict, that somehow this means, or at least Beijing will interpret this as, oh, the U.S. will not directly intervene in the case of Taiwan. Uh, you think that that is not the case. Why is that? Kind of d- uh, dive into that a bit. It's because the United States has a Taiwan Relations Act that defines the, the scope for U.S. intervention in the defense of Taiwan. And uh, as has been widely debated, the United States uh, doesn't 
clearly define a commitment to come to Taiwan's defense, but the, the Taiwan Relations Act provides pretty wide scope for the United States to intervene in Taiwan's defense. And um, so the, the the Taiwan Relations Act, for example, says that it is a policy of the United States to consider any effort to determine the future of Taiwan by other than peaceful means, including by boycotts or embargoes, a threat to the peace and security of the Western Pacific area and of grave concern to the United States. So that means that there's a very wide mandate for the United States to intervene in the defense of Taiwan. And um, if there's some kind of uh, threat to Taiwan security, the United States uh, reserves the right to intervene in Taiwan's defense because uh, the United States considers Taiwan to be undetermined. The United States reserves the right to intervene and would not to consider intervention in the defense of Taiwan a violation of Chinese sovereignty because the U.S. doesn't consider Taiwan to be under Chinese sovereignty. So um, the Taiwan Relations Act doesn't um, lay out what the U.S. would do, but it says under that incredibly wide range of conditions, if there's a threat to the security of Taiwan, um, not only an invasion, but also boycotts or embargoes or a threat to the social or economic system of the people in Taiwan, the United States would um, consider that of grave concern to the United States. And uh, the United States would uh, at least uh, determine appropriate action. So um, section three of the TRA says that the Congress, president and the Congress uh, will determine in accordance with the constitutional processes, appropriate action by the United States in response to any such danger. So um, the established U.S. policy toward Taiwan provides a, a great deal of um, scope for U.S. intervention in Taiwan's defense. And uh, there isn't something analogous for Ukraine. So yeah, so um, unlike in the case of Ukraine, the United States uh, has a, a very long-lasting uh, and a fairly robust defense relationship um, going going back decades. So uh, I think the United States is much more likely to intervene in Taiwan's defense. And the U U.S. has uh, a vital interest in doing so, given the importance of Taiwan for geoeconomics. So we've got we've got the Taiwan Relations Act uh, for Taiwan. Uh, well, and, and there is no equivalent. There is no Ukraine Relations Act, uh, if you will. Uh, what do we have in Europe instead? Well, we've got things. We have NATO. We have the Artify, Article. You know, just so far knows, you're, Ukraine is absolutely not a part of NATO. It, that, that should be clear to everyone. NATO. If you are a member state of NATO, you get Article Five, which is essentially an attack on one is an attack on all. But Ukraine falls outside of that because it's not a party to NATO. Uh, if Ukraine does not have that, and it does not have an equivalent of the Taiwan Relations Act. Uh, you know, was there anything there uh, that would serve as any basis like this? I guess we had the we had the Budapest Memorandum uh, from 1994 that basically Russia, the United Kingdom, and the United States uh, provide these kind of security guarantees to Ukraine uh, in order for it to give up its uh, it had a bunch of nuclear weapons on soil from the Soviet Union when the Soviet Union collapsed. There were incentives not to give those up, namely they were scared of the Russians invading. Uh, the U.S., the United Kingdom, and uh, Russia basically gave it some security guarantees uh, in order to uh, get it to give up its nuclear weapons. The Why should we see the U.S. commitment uh, via the Taiwan Relations Act as more credible than the Budapest Memorandum? Well, uh, well, the Budapest Memorandum, it was a multilateral uh, guarantee of, of Ukraine security. And in the case of uh, the Taiwan Relations Act, that is a unilateral policy by the United States. The U.S. didn't negotiate that with Taiwan or with Beijing, and it's the United States defining its policy um, uh, uh, toward Taiwan. So uh, the, the Six Assurances also clarified later on that the United States um, did not agree with Beijing on changing its position on Taiwan status, and that Beijing would not have a say in uh, U.S. arms sales to Taiwan. The United States would not pressure Taiwan to enter into negotiations with Beijing. So the Taiwan Relations Act is a unilateral statement by the United States, and, and the U.S. has almost complete freedom 
really complete freedom to uh, interpret the Taiwan Relations Act as it, as it pleases, because it says in Section 3C um, of the Taiwan Relations Act that um, the Congress, President and the Congress, shall determine uh, in accordance with constitutional processes uh, appropriate action by the United States in response to any such danger. So um, only the President and Congress can decide what appropriate action would be. So, okay, so that totally makes sense to me. And I, I so just for... If these are obviously imperfect uh, comparisons to say, oh, is it Taiwan Relations Act? Is it more like NATO or is it more like the Budapest Memorandum, right? Listeners might be worried about, you know, kind of wondering where does this fit kind of into this spectrum of U.S. commitment, uh, how credible that commitment is. Uh, it sounds like the Taiwan Relations Act is uh, it, it less than kind of an ironclad Article 5 NATO commitment, but more than uh, something like the Budapest Memorandum is that a is that a how would how would you how do you think about that is that a fair characterization? I actually think it, it's pretty high up there in comparison with NATO. In some ways, it's better than the North Atlantic Treaty because um, so the North Atlantic Treaties identifies a triggering action for the United States or any of the other parties to intervene as an armed attack quote an armed attack, um, and that has a very specific meaning and. It um, is a very limited set of conditions under which the United States would intervene in the defense of, of its Western European allies, whereas the Taiwan Relations Act is much broader in, um, in terms of the, the, the triggering actions for the United States to intervene in Taiwan's defense. Basically, any a perceived threat to Taiwan security could um, trigger a United States action, where um, the Taiwan Relations Act is perhaps in some ways worse than the, the NATO treaty in terms of defining the, the strength of the U.S. commitment is in, in what um, the United States actually do in, in response to um, this threat to Taiwan security. So in the North Atlantic Treaty, it says that each of the parties will assist the other parties by taking forth with um, such action as it, as it deems necessary, including the, the use of armed force. So that um, it uses stronger language because it refers to um, taking action forthwith uh, including the use of armed force, and specifically says that, whereas the Taiwan Relations Act only refers to how the United States would uh, take appropriate action in response to any such danger to the security of Taiwan. And then the other, so so right now we're, we've been kind of discussing kind of the, you know, kind of the, the the international, you know, kind of formal commitment, right? Whatever that might be. Of course, some people say, oh, that's just um, that's just a scrap of paper, right? You know you know, what the U.S. is ultimately going to do, what's in its interest. If we take that lens, do we still see uh, the U.S., a U.S. intervention on behalf of Taiwan as more likely? In other words, are there certain, what interests does the U.S. have in Taiwan that are greater than what it has uh, in Ukraine, for example? Well, if we want to uh, calculate the United States kind of material um, self-interest in the security of Taiwan, uh, a, a major difference is that Taiwan's semiconductor industry is incredibly important to the global economy. Um, so there's, there's this one Taiwanese company, the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, that holds 50% of global revenue in semiconductor manufacturing, which is across the board. And for the most advanced chips, TSMC's market share is closer to, to 90%. And uh, so you, you can imagine that in this time when the United States and China are competing over geoeconomics and this whole suite of advanced technologies, 5G, AI, quantum, high-performance computing, that the world's most important company for the manufacturing of computer chips would be incredibly important in, in, in great power competition. So Steve Blank at Stanford has estimated that if the PRC were to take control of Taiwan, 
and cut off the supply of chips to the United States, that would set the United States back by at least five years. And that's an enormous amount of time, given how quickly these industries are developing. So the United States has a strong geoeconomic interest in maintaining the security of Taiwan. But you know that that's um, a, a consideration of material self-interest. But in terms of you know, global values and uh, the United States' support for a rules-based international order, uh, de uh, defending Taiwan from armed attack, just like defending you. Ukraine for Russian aggression is important for the United States to uphold these principles of, of the um, liberal international order. And um, we, what we've seen in this conflict is in Ukraine is that uh, Ukraine's democracy it plays a vital role in shoring up U.S. support uh, for for Ukraine in the face of Russian aggression. And that uh, argument applies equally to Taiwan. Okay, so to to, um, to actually okay, so you've brought up kind of the idea of democracy and how this kind of fits into the whole equation, democracy versus autocracy. So on the one hand, you might think of this from the perspective of the U.S. The U.S. is interested in, you know, we like we like democracy, we're a democracy, uh, we like to support other democratic countries. So that's kind of one thing. There's also, and there's actually quite a lot of, um, there's a long, uh, extremely long uh, line of literature and political science, history and other disciplines about the differences in democracies and autocracies uh, in preparing for a war or conducting uh, a war. Are you, were you just referring to the former? Were you saying the U.S. is going to have an interest because these are democracies? Or are you also referring to uh, how Ukraine and Taiwan might prepare more effectively or fight more effectively um, because they're democracies? More of the former. Uh, I think the fact that Ukraine and Taiwan are both democracies means that it's very difficult for the United States, even if it were to wish to do so, to make the case that it was staying out of a, a conflict because you see democracies um, in which the people have a right to choose their own leaders who um, ha have a right uh, to, to, to speak uh, on, on their future being invaded by aggressive, aggressive authoritarian power. So that hasn't happened in the case of Taiwan, of course, but in the case of Russia, it, it has happened. And the, 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 that those graphic images of of um, Ukrainian cities being bombed, um, the right, the will of the Ukrainian people being flagrantly violated by by um, Putin's forces, just raises the the, the specter. This is this is a, a war of of just clearly a, a war of aggression against Ukraine, and. Um, it, and so that factor galvanizes support for Ukraine in the United States. Granted, the United States hasn't intervened uh, in Ukraine, but the degree of U.S. support for Ukraine, be it with, through sanctions or military aid, um, significantly exceeds what most people expected at the outset of the conflict. So I think that um, in terms of domestic politics, Ukraine's democracy uh, has played a really important role in shoring up U.S. support. I think the same would apply for Taiwan. And, and just to clarify, I think you just did. So when we say um, the U.S., so we say the U.S. has not directly intervened. I hasn't put its own combat forces uh, in Ukraine. However, as you point out, clearly the U.S. and and, uh, and NATO and the EU and many other countries have indirectly intervened in Ukraine, supplying all sorts of uh, weapons, funding, etc. Uh, probably some of the more famous examples are the, the Javelin anti-tank missile, um, the uh, Stinger anti-aircraft missile, a lot of these kind of um, portable weapon systems that uh, are, are quite effective for um, against uh, Russian planes, uh, tanks, and really have kind of 
uh, taking away a lot of the advantages that uh, many commentators assume the Russians would have uh, in its fight with um, Ukraine. That kind of uh, begs the question of how the U.S. or maybe the well, U.S. or also Taiwan, how they might think about defense planning differently now after seeing what's happened in Ukraine. So, for example, let's let's go back. Um, you know, let's say five months uh, at the at the new year. Basically, everyone was predicting that. Russia was going to roll over Ukraine, even the even the ones who said this is a really bad idea for Russia. They thought what would happen is the Russians, they would, you know, kind of trounce the, the Ukrainian military, but then there'd be a, a, a big insurgency, right? It'd be kind of like Iraq, uh, Iraq war, but, you know, for the Russians. Um, but no one was really thinking that the, the Ukrainians could like basically like keep the Russians at bay, which is basically what they've done. There have been a few... Uh, Few explanations out there for why this might be the case. One is that there's been a lot of corruption um, uh, in Russia, so that where the you know, uh, these generals or military contractors on paper would say, "Oh yes, we got these uh, these these nice wheels for this vehicle, or we got these tanks, or we got these weapons," when in actuality, um, you know, on paper it showed they had ten, but in actuality they had they bought three, and then the other money just went in someone's pocket, right? So they actually had a lot less. Um, uh, basically, their military hardware was uh, quite um, inferior, both in quality and quantity, uh, uh, compared to what was showing on paper. Uh, the other is, uh, of course, that again, these weapon systems that the U.S. and others uh, have provided to the to uh, the Ukrainians have been proven to be very effective. Does this change the defense calculus for Taiwan? So maybe beforehand it was investing in uh, certain weapon systems, but now it might think, you know, gosh, we don't need these expensive things. Turns out we can just get, you fill in the blank, a ton of javelins or a ton of stingers, whatever it might be, uh, and fight like the Ukrainians. Do you think that's going through uh, the mind of, of officials in Taipei right now? Yeah, it's going through the minds of officials in Taipei and in Washington, and it bolsters the case for Taiwan to pursue an asymmetric defense strategy. And so um, Ukraine has been very successful at denying uh, Russia air superiority over Ukraine using the kinds of weapon systems like the, the, the Javelin and the S-400, whereas uh, it would be very difficult for uh, Ukraine to, to deny air superiority th purely through um, aerial combat or, or, or through, through dogfights. And the, the same would apply in the, in the case of Taiwan. So I think that the, the, the conflict in Ukraine has bolstered the case in favor of Taiwan to pursue an asymmetric defense strategy. There is one big difference, and I'm not sure how this um, changes the equation, but in a word, it's water, right? So in, in the case of what's going on in Europe, there's a land border. You, uh, you, uh, Ukraine is both uh, contiguous with Russia, its enemy, but also with uh, Poland, Romania, et cetera, where all these weapon shipments are coming in from. Taiwan, in contrast, is an island. It's separated from water, by water from the mainland, from mainland China, um, but also separated by water, a lot of water from the United States, I guess a little bit less if we think that maybe Japan could serve in a similar role to what Poland is serving for, for Ukraine right now, but it's water nonetheless. So on the one hand, it seems like the if the Russians were, are not able to uh, basically overcome Ukrainian resistance 
in a land attack, we think it's even less likely that uh, China would be able to overcome Taiwan resistance when they have to, you know, cross a, a, a significant uh, channel or, or strait, if you will. Because usually we think that amphibious uh, assaults are, are much more difficult than, than uh, land assaults. On the other hand, uh, we might think that, yes, that's true. However, it's, you know, this is kind of a, this is a double-edged sword. Yes, it's harder for China to, to get to Taiwan than it is for Russia to get to Ukraine, but it's also harder for supplies to get from the United States or maybe even Japan uh, to Taiwan in the event of a contingency like this uh, than it would be to get all these weapon systems coming in via Poland, Urania to Ukraine. Do you think that's a, a, a accurate characterization? And how does that overall kind of affect the equation? Does that mean ta uh, Taiwan's in a worse place than Taiwan because it's harder to be resupplied? Or is it in a better case uh, net because that's the channels, that's a hard, that's a hard invasion for China? I, I think uh, on, on net, the geography works in, in Taiwan's favor. And all the points you raise, I completely agree with in terms of the, the, the double-edged sword, uh, uh, the challenge of a PLA amphibious operation against Taiwan, but also the, the challenge of, uh, of the United States trying to resupply Taiwan. But I think that on net, uh, geography works more in Taiwan's favor than, than, than against Taiwan. And there's a couple of reasons why that's the case. Uh, first, if the difficulty is in resupplying Taiwan. I mean, that's once the conflict starts, right? Um, but the United States has a policy of providing Taiwan with arms. And so the United States can supply Taiwan before the conflict starts. And so there's wide scope for the United States to uh, to prepare Taiwan, help Taiwan prepare for this, this kind of conflict. Uh, and also, so along with, the, you know, in line with that kind of idea of the asymmetric defense strategy that I mentioned, Taiwan has a, a number of ways of making a PLA landing across Taiwan Strait much more difficult. And one of those is sea mines. Um, and that would just be a daunting operation for the PLA to attempt to uh, to take over Taiwan if Taiwan can just lay the Taiwan Strait with, with a bunch of sea mines and, 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 and uh, activate them once a PLA comes over. So it's just a massively complicated um, operation um, in, in the case of Taiwan. And another factor that I think that's important to consider is the, the human element of war. And Russia has significantly underperformed in the invasion of Ukraine, even though Russian forces have arguably had much more co uh, experience with actual combat than, than Chinese forces have. China hasn't fought a war since 1979, and it lost badly against Vietnam. So if you're like seeing, looking at this from, like, from Beijing's perspective, and um, they haven't fought a, a war since 1979. Their force haven't, haven't fought a war. And pulling off this kind of complex joint operation, even though they have all kinds of high-tech gadgets that they can throw at the conflict, the, that lack of experience in, in an actual conflict, I think would raise serious doubts in Beijing about whether or not they could, they could pull this off, especially since Taiwan would have the support of not just uh, the United States, but also Japan and, uh, and, and Australia. And you refer to Japan potentially resupplying Taiwan just like Poland is. I mean, Japan would probably do that. And Japanese officials recently have been making statements that shown them kind of leaning pretty strongly in that direction. But I think uh, Japan would be much more directly involved in the conflict over Taiwan than uh, Poland is uh, over Ukraine. So uh, the degree of um, US and allied support for Taiwan would be, would, would be much stronger in the case of Taiwan. So one um, one kind of kind of takeaway might be again comparing kind of the the land versus sea, Ukraine versus Taiwan, is that 
if we think that, um, you know, water famously, that it's, uh, some people call it the quote, the quote unquote stopping power of water. Um, if we think that's the case, which, uh, it, it sounds like you do. And, and, and I definitely agree with that. Uh, even if there, it does, if it does make it more difficult to resupply Taiwan, there is kind of a simple solution here. And that's that preparation is key. So even assuming, let's say, yes, it would be difficult for the US or Japan or whoever else to resupply Taiwan during a conflict, uh, that there's nothing really uh, stopping it from doing so beforehand. So one lesson might be that watching what's going on in Ukraine, this means that the US or whatever, what, whatever other um, allies are out there should be looking at kind of arming Taiwan now. Uh, with the assumption that it's going to be a lot more difficult to resupply the island during warfare itself, uh, but in the kind of comforting knowledge that these systems do work. We saw what happens in Ukraine and uh, between Ukraine and Russia. Just the key is we need to re we need to essentially resupply Taiwan beforehand um, uh, as kind of a, a, a major lesson. The other question I wanted to ask is, you know, kind of looking at 30,000 feet, if you're sitting in Beijing, are you more or less likely to attack Taiwan um, after what you've seen going on in Ukraine? So even before the Russian invasion of Ukraine, I wasn't convinced that Beijing had a timeline. And reading the analyses of experts on the PLA, such as uh, Timing Chang, I, 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 I didn't think that Beijing had decided by a certain day, Beijing must take Taiwan uh, and forcibly reunite Taiwan with the PRC. And and after the Russian invasion of Ukraine, I, I think all the evidence points toward a, a delay of um, Beijing's plans to to take uh, take over Taiwan. And uh, there are a variety of factors why it's even less likely now than it was before that Beijing would attempt to invade Taiwan. Uh, one of them being just the clear Russian underperformance in Ukraine. Uh, you, for Russia to take over Ukraine and to, to capture Kiev should have been a relatively um, straightforward operation, given how close uh, Russian forces were to, to, to Kiev and given how much of an advantage Russia had in terms of just, just objective military assets that it could put on, on, into the field in Ukraine. And yet, in spite of that, Ukraine has performed phenomenally well in, in, uh, in this invasion and not only stopped the Russian attack on Kiev, but even rolled it back and is now putting up a serious fight in, in eastern Ukraine. So I think the example of the Ukrainian resistance would give Beijing reason to pause over a, a, a starting a war over Taiwan. And another reason why I think Beijing is less likely now, given all these factors to try to invade Taiwan, is that given the importance of uh, the Taiwan issue for Chinese nationalism and the domestic legitimacy of the CCP, on the one hand, that means that they're very sensitive about this and they're they they would use force um, under certain conditions uh, with regard to the Taiwan issue. But it also means that once a war starts, they have no room to back down. There's no off-ramp for them. Uh, and so it's, it's all or nothing if they start a war over Taiwan. And uh, they would be betting a lot on this kind of war succeeding uh, because it could be very risky for them from a, a political perspective to try to in invade Taiwan if they're not ready for it. Aside from, so when we say we're kind of talking about a war with Taiwan, we're kind of assuming a, a kind of full-on invasion, if you will, right? Similar to, to sort of similar to what the, the Russians are doing in Ukraine, although there's this whole question from the beginning of how far Russia actually wanted to go into Ukraine. But in the, in the case of Taiwan, uh, it seems like there are 
there are a few different contingencies. Um, could you, so the one is just full on invasion, right? T- take over Taiwan, you know, send in, uh, you know, uh, you know, the army basically and physically take over the islands. What other, what other options does, um, does mainland China have and what would kind of the desired outcomes uh, of each of those options be? I think uh, Beijing's strategy toward Taiwan uh, is, uh, is, is something that is most often associated uh, with um, Swinza's idea of uh, defeating the enemy without fighting, being in, in Chinese. And so um, not using open war, but trying to make the enemy submit without engaging in, in, in direct hostilities. And so their, their strategy against Taiwan seems to be one uh, of psychological warfare. Uh, Bonnie Glazer, Richard Bush, and Ryan has had this, a great article in NPR uh, th- uh, about how all this talk about the, the risk of war over Taiwan is actually playing into Beijing's hands because Beijing wants to um, make Taiwan panic about the possibility of a war and, and wants Taiwan to um, come to the negotiating table and to un- to consistently undermine the, the the will of the Taiwanese people to resist. And so we should be concerned about a, a conflict and prepare accordingly, but I think creating a, a panic in Taiwan about the possibility of imminent conflict would work in, 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 uh, in play into Beijing's kind of strategy against Taiwan. So I think that they think that their greatest strategic asset is patience. They, they can wait this out. Um, uh, Xi Jinping seems to be set to become the, the leader for life in China. China has a, a, a very uh, strong interest in, in this issue. And I think Beijing is um, betting on the possibility if they play the long game, that the United States um, support for Taiwan will, will not uh, be as robust over the long term. That's what they, they probably think. And, and But there are, are, are ways of, of counteracting that and demonstrating that the United States has a, a long term um, policy of, of supporting Taiwan and helping Taiwan to uh, provide for its own security. So I, I, th- I think that Beijing's long-term strategy is a psychological warfare. They're keeping the military option open, but it's not their their, their first choice. And I, I don't think they'll exercise the military option unless uh, they encounter some, uh, some, some unusual set of conditions. But for, for the most part, I think their, their strategy is psychological warfare, uh, disinformation, and uh, it's conceivable that they might try to uh, impose a kind of blockade or embargo against Taiwan, but a full-on military invasion, I think, is unlikely. And I just had one uh, final question for you, James, and this is, you know, I will, given your, your very broad research interests, I'm seeing if you can kind of connect two of them together. There, there's been a lot of talk uh, out there um, by uh, uh, Graham Allison and others about this supposed Thucydides trap that uh, essentially, so the idea is um, that a rising uh, power and a declining power are, there's gonna be strong pressures to, to have a war, essentially. That's kind of the, the, the very uh, basic version of the argument. What, in your opinion, can Thucydides tell us about the Taiwan contingency in world politics? So I think Graham Allison makes a great point about the structural uh, pressures that arise from power transitions. But I think uh, his argument makes it seem like this conflict is inevitable. I think his exact words in Destined for War are, um, 
avoiding the Thucydides trap will require the United States and China to do no less than bending the arc of history. And I don't think it's quite that predetermined that there's going to be a conflict. But I do think that um, structural um, change has um, has resulted in uh, as potential causes for instability. The U.S. has been pushing it back against the rising China ever since 2016. And as part of the United States has been much more assertive in, in, uh, in um uh, in, in supporting Taiwan and helping Taiwan to provide for its security. And so there's a pot potential for this to escalate and, and this tension to, uh, to, to, become, to become worse over time. But I, I don't think that there's anything inevitable about a conflict between the United States and China over Taiwan or about, or about other issues. I, I personally, my reading of Thucydides is that what Thucydides actually described in the history of the Peloponnesian War was in modern terms that Athens created an empire in the Aegean that would be like a, what we would call an anti-Axis area denial strategy. And Sparta didn't realize that until it was too late. And by the time Sparta wanted to um, convince Athens to, to back down and halt the expansion of the Athenian empire, Athens had already acquired the A2AD assets and capabilities needed um, to um, defend itself against the, uh, Sparta and the Peloponnesian League. And so the lesson of Thucydides, from my point of view, uh, is that um, Sparta was too slow to realize that Athens was building up an A2AD capability. Uh, and the, the fact that Sparta was so slow to realize that meant that when the crisis came, uh, it was, it was, Sparta couldn't um, deter Athens um, from engaging in pr um, provocative actions. So the lesson for United States strategy is that the United States needs to be more proactive in encountering um, China's um, A2AD capabilities and consistently demonstrate that it has the capacity uh, to intervene in the defense of Taiwan. And I think a larger point from Thucydides uh, that is, is helpful for U.S.-China relations is that Thucydides talks about the Athenian-Spartan rivalry, which we should remember didn't res result in any kind of glorious victory for any of the sides. It was, it was a terrible and disastrous war that led to the downfall of the golden age of ancient Greek civilization. Thucydides says that the Athenians and the Spartans damaged their own interests competing in the heat of the moment. So um, there's a lot of uh, heightened rhetoric and heightened political tensions surrounding Taiwan, but war doesn't benefit anybody. And so the, the, the two, everyone in, in this side stands to benefit from the peace. So as long as we, each side can keep that kind of similarity in mind and keep it, it their eyes kind of focus on the need to prevent a conflict over Taiwan. I think that uh, managing this uh, dispute uh, is possible over the long term. Well, James, it's been an excellent conversation. This has been very interesting. So, James, thank you for taking the time uh, to be with us, and we will keep in touch. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being with us at IGCC, and have a great week.